Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 146, Philadelphia Falls. Last time out, we looked at events in North America over late 1776, with British forces in Canada under Carlton unable to get through the Lake Champlain Corridor in upstate New York, while General Howe chased Washington across New Jersey and over the Delaware, before Washington struck back with the victory at Trenton. Washington found a good spot in New Jersey and encamped for the winter. Meanwhile, General Howe was making his plans for 1777, which he coordinated with London. The conquest of New England, which was the original plan for 1776, was postponed. In Canada, General John Burgoyne was to take command of the Canadian Army and march south to Albany, where it would be under Howe's authority. There was some logic to this decision. Carlton and Howe were both commanders-in-chief, and neither would happily serve under the other. But there was also an enmity between Carlton and the colonial secretary, Germain. Carlton was compensated for the loss of his command with a knighthood, and honour was also awarded to General Howe. While this was the plan for the northern force, uh, that for the southern was simpler. Howe would launch an invasion of Pennsylvania. Such a bold plan was only possible due to the failure of the Continental Congress to recruit the numbers they planned. Congress wanted to recruit some 75 Continental soldiers, offering $20 and a plot of 100 acres once the war was over. However, some of the states would outbid Congress to keep the fighting men in their own locality rather than in a centralised army. Combined with the general discomfort that fighting in the Continental Army would entail, wintering at Morristown was not fun, and Washington found his forces leaking away, constantly needing to be reinforced by militia. Then, there was also the issue of supplies that plagued the American forces. Charles Lee had been unable to move to reinforce Washington quickly because his men didn't have enough shoes. Finally, by the end of May, Washington was able to muster a force of 9,000 Continentals, supported by the militia. This was bolstered by much-needed, quote-unquote, secret supplies from Spain and France. You know what this means. It's digression time, while we catch up with what's been going on in France since the 1763 Peace of Paris. Now, I don't want to go too much into this, because I could very easily start getting into a breakdown of the origins of the French Revolution. But at the same time, it is extremely interesting. After being defeated by Britain, France was forced to confront its need to modernise. While Britain had reformed itself into a constitutional monarchy during the civil wars and the glorious revolution of the 17th century, France had undergone no such shift. It was an administrative mess. The army was badly organised and the burgeoning middle classes had very little political representation. These issues were quite obvious to everybody, but conflicting interests led to very little being done. During the 1760s, reforms were made to the military, but there were problems with pretty much everything else. 
attempts were made by the royal ministries to make centralised reform, but these were attacked by the Parliament, or regional councils, as the actions of a tyrannical central government. The Parliament were able to convince the public that they were acting in the public interest, and by this point in his reign, Louis XV did not have the political will to support his chancellors. The situation finally resolved itself in 1774, when Louis XV died, and was replaced by his 19-year-old son, Louis XVI. This killed attempts at administrative reform, but there were still financial issues to address, with the crown being deep in debt. New ministers were brought in who suggested radical reform, such as Turgot, but this was blocked by the Parlement, who argued that the king did not have the right to raise new taxes without calling the Estates General. This is highly significant for our story. While Turgot was arguing that the crown had no money, it did not make sense to spend a fortune on some foreign adventure. Something like, oh, I don't know, supporting a group of rebels in British North America. Turgot was the main opponent of France getting drawn into the American War of Independence, while on the other side was the Comte de Vergennes, the foreign minister. Vergennes had the classic argument that it would be a quick and cheap conflict and would land a mortal blow to the British Empire. In May 1776, the king decided to abandon Turgot's attempt at reform, and he was removed as the Controller General of Finances and First Minister of State. The new First Minister of State was the Comte de Maurepas, and ultimately Jacques de Caire would replace Turgot as the Controller General of Finances. Without Turgot there to argue against him, Vergennes would get his way. The king would not go as far as declaring war against Britain, but they would agree to everything but. An agent of Vergennes, the Caron de Beaumarchais, was set up in a merchant firm, the Roderick Hortales and Company, to send supplies to the Americans. By the spring of 1777, the Patriots were fighting with cannon stamped with the Bourbon fleur-de-lis. We'll have much more to say about the French later, but this should be enough for now. For the time being, I want to get back to British plans for 1777. I've already talked a bit in this episode about the plans for the Canadian Army, so now I'd like to go into a bit of detail about Howe's proposed invasion of Pennsylvania. Now, this was a complete reversal of the previous plan, which centred on conquering New England. Literally, they were literally marching in the opposite direction. Now, conquering New England was a sound plan, but perhaps Howe was convinced by deserters from New Jersey and Pennsylvania that the mid-Atlantic states would be more willing to abandon the Patriot side than Boston. After formulating several plans... Howe ultimately decided that the best route to move against Philadelphia would not be crossing the Delaware to attack from the north, nor following the Delaware and attacking from the east, or even sailing around New Jersey and up the Delaware to attack from the south, but instead to sail around Delaware and Maryland and up Chesapeake Bay, attacking from the west. This seemed the best way of avoiding Washington. The plan was endorsed by Germain, the colonial secretary, 
though he was uneasy about how much distance would be put between Howe and the Canadian army. Howe, indeed, offered minimal help to Burgoyne. In North America, Cornwallis offered his support, while Henry Clinton, who tended to have the best strategic instincts in the British High Command, opposed it, instead suggesting they follow the original plan and focus upon New England. Howe decided to ignore Clinton and spent the spring preparing his men and ships, as well as occasionally sparring with Washington, who moved from Morristown to Middlebrook, expecting the British to attempt to cross the Delaware. On July 23rd, 1777, Howe set sail with 19,000 soldiers and 250 ships. It was a difficult journey, with the convoy hit by both the summer temperatures and stormy weather, before they eventually disembarked at the northern end of the Chesapeake on August 25th. The British had wasted the summer, and were weakened by the journey, and they hadn't managed to avoid Washington after all. Washington was greatly puzzled by the British as he watched them board their ships and sail away. He moved into New Jersey, trying to work out where they were going. Perhaps they were going to move into the southern states, or double back and attack the Hudson to unite with the Canadian army. When he found out they were in the Chesapeake, he simply moved around Philadelphia, something the British somehow failed to predict he would do. The British proceeded to march up the west bank of the river until they eventually reached the Brandywine Creek, a tributary of the Delaware, where a quietly confident Washington was entrenched with 11,000 men. A frontal assault would have been disastrous for Howe, so Howe split his forces, sending part of his army to cross further up the Brandywine. Washington prepared to attack this smaller force, but then wisely decided to hold back. Then the British, who had crossed, the creek appeared and Washington was attacked on two sides. He held off the British for a day, but when night fell, he was able to withdraw. Howe lost around 500 men, Washington around 1,000. The Continental Congress decided at this point to withdraw to the interior of Pennsylvania, settling in York. Washington acted to defend the city, but this would have been impossible. He decided to preserve his strength and withdrew, leaving it free for Howe to march in and take Philadelphia on September 25th. A great British victory. Except not really, and I'll explain why with a classic Jamie digression. Karl von Clausewitz was a Prussian general and military theorist, active in the Napoleonic Wars. Modern strategic thinking really has its origins in Clausewitz, and one of his key points was the Schwerpunkt, a term which was borrowed from physics and originally meant centre of gravity. Clausewitz theorises that every nation has a Schwerpunkt, something which is keeping the war effort going. It's tempting to view this as a prestige target, such as a capital city or an economic centre. Howe seemed to believe that the American Schwerpunkt was Philadelphia, but more often than not, it is an army. In my opinion, the core of the American war effort was Washington's army. The war would not be over until Washington was defeated, and so that needed to be the priority. Not holding an unfriendly city, which would then need to be protected, reducing Howe's troop strength. A wiser commander, like Caesar, was able to recognise this distinction. 
in his civil wars, he focused on destroying the Republican army, not holding on to Rome. To make a more modern comparison, you can see it in football. Some football teams try and command space on a pitch. Positional football. A classic example of this is Jose Mourinho. But most managers do it in some form. Hold your half of the pitch, you'll not concede goals. Hold the opponent's half of the pitch, you'll score goals. But space on a football pitch is not the Schwerpunkt. It's the ball. Control of the ball is what's important. This is possessional football, which led to the Dutch school of Total Voetbal, which takes its most famous modern form in Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, and is, in your humble podcaster's opinion, a superior approach. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. The point is that taking Philadelphia was a strategic mistake for the British. Philadelphia needed to be supplied up the Delaware, which required considerable resources both to do and to protect the Delaware and Philadelphia, while the citizens of Philadelphia were mostly patriots, with very few supporting the British. Howe stationed his best troops in the centre and left 9,000 in Germantown to hold off Washington. Washington saw this balance of power, thought it favourable, and attacked at dawn on October the 4th. The Americans were ultimately pushed back, losing 1,000, but Howe lost 500, and he needed his soldiers more than Washington needed his. The Patriots were in good spirits after the Battle of Germantown, and the army based itself west of Philadelphia. Once the British supply lines were secured, Howe moved against Washington, who did not move, and offered battle at White Marsh, but Howe was not confident in the result of battle and couldn't afford another victory like Germantown or the Brandywine Creek. Instead, he chose to withdraw and settle in for the winter at Philadelphia. Washington infamously wintered at Valley Forge, which is what we shall talk about next time when we move the narrative into 1778. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.